Okay, let's shift gears. A little Christmas fun. You want a little Christmas fun? How about some movie trivia? Now, there's no giveaways. This is just for bragging rights. Just for bragging rights. So if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're part of the online church, you can, you can type your answer out in, into the chat. In the movie A Christmas Carol, right? A, a little bit of a classic here. How many ghosts appear? Not three. Everybody thinks it's three. No? Who's got a... Over here, Nolan, Victoria? Would you, yes, four. Everybody thinks it's three because it's the ghost, ghost of Christmas past, right, present, and yet to come, but they forget the fourth ghost is Scrooge's former business partner who comes back to help save him. Yeah, see, four. On. What's that? Yeah, so this is the actual movie of Christmas Carol, the true story, not the puppet version. All right, on, a, on a, a Miracle on 34th Street, A Miracle on 34th Street is based on what real-life department store? Yeah, wh wow. Nice. Well done. All right, in Home Alone, the original, the first one, to what city is the family going to when they leave Kevin behind? Nice. You guys are good. You guys are good. Okay, we learned this when we were volunteering at the aqueducts this week. Come on. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Cartoon version. The Grinch is described by three words. Wow. Was that Jennifer Miro? Have you seen that movie recently? Please say yes. Thank you. Stink, stink, stunk. We were in there. We, we, Vanessa and I go twice a month, and, and, uh, and we were in there. They, they were doing some Christmas trivia, and, we were, and none of us could remember. We were, we were, we're all trying to sing the song, you know? And they're like, no, it's stink, stink, stunk. All right, that's, yeah, all right, you guys did good. You guys did good. You guys did good. I like it. All right, Christmas series we're in. Shalom. I'm excited about this series. I hope you are. There's a verse here that's going to pop up that we introduced to you last week. It's in Luke 2, 14. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And we see here at the announcement of Jesus's birth, at the announcements of his birth, we see even now there is this promise of peace to us. That part of the life and the ministry of Jesus is to bring peace to our lives. This word peace is a prominent part of the biblical narrative, and it starts in the Old Testament with the Hebrew word shalom. Now, now even though it's a Hebrew term and a Hebrew concept, I, I would argue it's, it's part of the experience that carries forward into the New Testament, that this idea of shalom that's in, introduced in the Old Testament is part of what you and I are supposed to have even as devoted followers of Christ, which is why I think God attached it to the announcement of Jesus' birth. We know that there are some things about Hebraic culture and the Mosaic law that were for a time and for a purpose and for seasons. The book of Galatians teaches us that. But some things were supposed to carry forward. And I think this idea of shalom is tied to the announcement of Jesus' birth because it's God saying, hey, shalom isn't going to end with Jesus. It's just getting started. Hebrew 
is a ancient language, right? That is even still spoken today, that is foreign for many of us, but it's what the original language of the Old Testament was written in. And as, and as we look at this Hebrew word shalom and we begin to dig a little deeper, what we find is that it's not something that's superficial. It, it, it translates peace, but it's really talking about an attitude that we can have. Or maybe I would use the word a disposition that we can carry. The Bible itself, as we looked at last week in some of the verses we read, talks about it. It refers to it as a state of mind and a state of heart. And this is the working definition we ended up with last week that I'm going to give to you again, is that shalom is a deep sense of well-being and goodness that is anchored in Jesus. Shalom is a deep sense of well-being and goodness that is anchored in Jesus. Now, now last week, we, we built on that. So if you're new to the series, you can always go back and get these through our website or on our YouTube channel. And also the notes are always online the following week for you to download as well. But, but let's talk about this idea of shalom and what it is and, 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 and what it isn't. Shalom means that it's something that we can feel, a disposition, an attitude, a state of mind and heart that, that is in spite of our circumstances. Me meaning that regardless of the circumstances that are around me or situations that I might be facing, this, this, this feeling, this deep sense of well-being and goodness, I can still have it regardless of what's happening around me because my sense of shalom is anchored in Jesus and not dependent on my situation. But, but this is important because if we're not careful, that can lead people into a sense of denying emotions, and that's not healthy either. And so we want to remind you that just because you are reaching for what the Bible teaches as shalom does not mean that you're not supposed to be honest about what you're feeling otherwise. Me meaning that when you're facing a tragic, troubling, difficult situation, that those feelings that you have, it's okay to lean into those feelings. Those things don't have to be in conflict with shalom, even though they are different from shalom, right? Part of being emotionally healthy means that you're willing to lean into emotions that you might be having regardless of what they might be. Denying them does not help those things. And, and what we like to say is that when you lean into those feelings, oftentimes Christ is waiting for you there to encourage you. And then in that encouragement, you know what he does? He points you, he points you back to your center, which is shalom. It's the center of who I am. I remember when I was little, we grew up out in the country, and we would be gone playing in the woods for hours on end. No water bottles, no nothing. Right? How do we survive? No phones. You're just you're just you're just out playing, and it didn't matter how far away we were, we could hear our mother's voice, right? No matter how far we, it's like you could hear her call. Right? There was something inside of us. We were we were wired. We were conditioned to respond to the voice of our mother. No no matter what the distance was between us, no matter how much fun we were having or mischief that we might be getting involved with. Can I just tell you, Shalom is like that for us. When we lean into the emotions that we're feeling that's healthy, that's an important part of the human experience, shalom is there and it will call us back to our center, back to a place of well-being and goodness. 
regardless of my circumstances, still free to feel my emotions, to be honest about my emotions, to let those emotions come, knowing that shalom is my center because it's anchored in Jesus. Let me share this thought with you. Until we are ready to accept the biblical concept of portion, we will never fully experience shalom. Because part of my goal in this series, for people that maybe you, you might say, for this idea of a, a deep sense of well-being and goodness, it, I, I, it's unfamiliar to me. Or maybe you might say, I've heard it before, but it's always so elusive. And so my hope is that through this series, we're, we're going to give you some practical things that you can do, some steps that you can take so that that sense of well-being and goodness can begin to grow and mature inside of you. And I'm convinced this, the biblical concept of portion is a vital and critical part of this idea of shalom. That if I don't understand the biblical concept of portion, if I'm not willing to embrace the biblical concept of portion, then shalom is always going to feel like this moving target that I could never grasp hold of. If you grew up in public school, private school, or any type of educational environment, maybe a summer camp where you went through a cafeteria line of some sort to get your food, right? You've got your tray and you're, you're, you're moving through. And, and even if you're able to maybe pick what it is you want, there's somebody on the other side with a hairnet, right, who's making decisions about how much you're going to get, right? It, there's, there's a portion that is, that, is, that is allotted to you that you're not free to negotiate, you maybe you would want a little bit less of this one, a little bit more of that one, but the spoon goes in, it comes up, and it goes onto the plate, and it comes to you, and you got to keep moving down the line, right? There, there's a portion that 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 you are given that that you are required to accept, even if you didn't want to receive it. Can you agree with me that in this life there are portions? that are assigned to us, and that we don't necessarily have a say in what it is or how much or when it comes. And this idea of portion relates to and is connected to the four primary relationships that every human being has. The, the first relationship is this, is your relationship with God. And, 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 and this idea of being at peace with God means that you've got to be willing to embrace his sovereignty. And in this series, we're, we're going to spend a Saturday night on each one of these. Pastor Justin's going to tackle this one for us later on this month in embracing his sovereignty. No matter how much free will, theologically, you embrace that you have, how many of you know it always stops short of the sovereignty of God? No, no, how much, no matter how much free will we have, and I believe in free will, it's still always at the end of the day subject to the sovereignty of God, M meaning that there are limits to the portion of the will that I have. And unless I'm willing to embrace the sovereignty of God, I'm never going to be at peace with him. The one we're going to talk about tonight is this idea of embracing your unchangeables, being at peace with yourself. So I'm going to skip that one because we're Diving deep into that. Let's go to the next slide. There's this idea of embrace their diversity, being at peace with others. We joked about this last week, that if we're not careful, we'll adopt this mindset and mentality that the world would be a much better place if it was a lot more like me. 
right? So, so there is a portion that you and I have been assigned by way of our experience in this life that God did not call you up and ask for your opinion and your input and how he was going to make the person that's sitting next to you. Right, the, 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 the person who is your neighbor or the person in your workplace or the person that's going to be waiting for you at your family Christmas dinner that maybe you're hoping isn't going to make it this year. Right? God didn't call you up to get your input on how he intended to create them. Right? We're never going to fully be at peace with others until we embrace the portion of diversity that God let loose into this world. And then the last one we'll do in this sermon series is this idea of embrace your chores. Being at peace with creation means that at some point you've got to be willing to accept and embrace the reality and the idea that God has work for you to do. Things for you to accomplish, good deeds for you to put your hand to. But tonight we're going to talk about this idea of unchangeables in my own life. And so there's this thought that you will never be at peace with yourself until you are ready to embrace your portion of unchangeables. Let's read it again. You will never be at peace with yourself until you are ready to embrace your portion of unchangeables. There are things that we can change about ourselves. There are things that we should change about ourselves. There's things that we should work on about ourselves But then there is a list of things that God has just assigned to us. And until we are at peace with the portion of the unchangeables that are us, then we will never experience all of shalom because part of shalom is being at peace with myself. At peace with myself. If you got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. Let's read it on the screen. Matthew 25, 14. says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one. He gave two bags of silver to another. And he gave one bag of silver to the last dividing it in proportion to their abilities, and then he left on his trip. All right, let's go to the next slide. Now, I'm I'm abbreviating this because this is a long parable. If you want to read the whole thing, then you can find that again in Matthew 25. Verse 19 says, After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for how they had used his money. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh Man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate, and I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Now, again, you might say, Fred, you skipped a big chunk. I did skip a big chunk there, but for the purpose of what we're looking at tonight, it's enough of the text to bring the conclusions that I'm going to share with you. Again, if you're new to the story, make sure you read the whole thing, 25, 14 to 30. See, this idea of the biblical concept of portion, this, this, this parable says lots of things to us, but one of the things it says is that portion, the biblical principle of portion, is a part of the human experience. Because Jesus, we know, is the master in the story. The master gives to each servant a different portion. Right? The master decides how much each one gets. It's not unfair. 
It's, it's, it's not as though one deserved more than the other. The idea is, is framing up the relationship that we have with God in our relationship with one another. And he's going to give different portions of different things to different people. And my responsibility is to trust that my master knows what he's doing. The portions were not negotiable. There was no trading after the fact. Your kids, your kids do any toy trading in your toy trading in your house? Ethan and Derek still they st still have things they're working out in therapy where one was taken advantage of over the other. I'll leave out the specific names for specific trades to protect the innocent. The servants were accountable. Listen to this for a responsibility that they did not choose. Right? The master, he's going away. He gives one a certain amount, another a certain amount, and a, another a certain amount. So he's giving them different amounts. And it says right in the text, based on their ability, abilities, which means that even abilities are very different between each one. And, and then there, the idea was not that they were just going to hide it and keep it safe. They were supposed to make it grow, which, which means that there was a task that was given to them that they did not ask for. There is work and responsibility that God wants to put into our hands that we might not choose for ourselves. The servants were accountable for a responsibility, right? They didn't choose. There was a portion of work that was given to them. The bags of silver are a prophetic picture of what I would say are unchangeables, things that he puts into our hands, deposits into our lives. And really, the, the last part there is another sermon for another time, but I'm just going to make a mention of it. False narratives about God that we buy into are no excuse. See, the, 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 the last part of that where it says, then the servant with the one bag of silver said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. The part of this, right, this is, this is God saying, hey, we are responsible and accountable for false narratives about God that we embrace even when they are untrue because he's given us all that we need to know the truth about him. So let's do a little participation tonight. I know some of you are thinking maybe we're past that because that makes you nervous. But see, I move it in the sermon a little bit, right, just to keep you on your toes. What, what, what are some unchangeables that are assigned to us as human beings in this life? Things that we can't change, things that we can't fix, things that just God determines for us. Somebody on the side. Stephanie. Yeah, your family. You, you don't get to pick who your parents are. You don't get to pick who your siblings are. All right, somebody else. Somebody else. What's an unchangeable? The weather. the weather. Yes, especially in Virginia. Yes. We should call it changeable, right, if we're talking about the weather in Virginia. Somebody else? Was there a hand on this side? No. Deb? What's that? Yeah, the traffic. You, 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 you find yourselves in situations in this life that, that you are subject to the decisions and the choices of other people. That's good. What's that? Your height. You cannot make yourself grow. No, that's a big one. We're going to talk about that, right? Your, your body shape, size, height, we're, we're, there's, there's, there's genetics and they're real, right? We don't get to pick. Brentley. Yeah, mental health problems. There's brain chemistry is a, a real part of this journey. That's a good one. Thank you. The country you're born in. That's good. 
the color of your skin, your gender. You guys are rolling, see? We're just going to get warmed up, Daniel. The weatherman's job security. Yes. Takara? Time. Ooh, we'll just we'll let that one settle in the room, right? That's a good one. We can't make more time in the day or in our lives. Let me, let me share the list I came up with. Many of them are repeating things that you've already spoken. Time in history. We don't get to pick the time in history right, where we're born. We don't get to pick the time in history. God's assigned that to us. Our family of origin, we, we don't get to pick that. We don't get to choose. Our ethnicity. How about our personality? Right? It's, it's in us. It's woven into the fabric of who we are. Spiritual gifts. We might do a, a series on that this year. We'll see. I'm praying about that. But spiritual gifts, uh, those, those are assigned to us, deposited in us, given to us. When we make a vow of devotion to Christ and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. Our natural abilities, right? There's just, there's natural abilities that we have and that we don't have. Intellectual capacity, it's a real thing. Body shape and size. I would argue here, sex, gender, and sexuality, which we know academically can, can be three very different things. And I, let me just pause here for a moment for, to just speak to that. If, if, if those terms and how they're different or, 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 you, or, or, or something that you're unfamiliar with, uh, a gentleman by the name of Preston Sprinkle has a book called Embodied I would recommend to you. I haven't read him enough to give a full-throated recommendation to everything that he believes, but, but I like the way he writes because he writes with a, a thoughtfulness on difficult topics, and, and he writes from a, a posture of humility, and I'm always drawn to that. Even if I'm not in agreement with all the conclusions, I just appreciate his heart. But he talks about how sex is, is, is anatomy-based. It's, it's the physical body that you're born with. And then gender is how you see yourself. And then sexuality is about sexual attraction. Now, what I teach and what our church believes is, is that your, 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 your sex is it's an unchangeable. It's, it's given to you by God. It's, you, you don't have a say in that. It's assigned to you at birth through the physical anatomy that you have. And then that determines your gender and then your gender dictates what's appropriate by way of sexual attraction. That's what we teach and believe as a church. And I include that on that list, even though that's a sensitive topic. And I, we, I think we're going to be doing a series on that this coming year too, just uh, about human sexuality. It should not be a conversation that the church withdraws from. It should be a conversation the church is leaning into. With honor and with grace, with humility and with love. But these are things that, that sometimes that the lists that are on the unchangeables, we can find ourselves at time in this life maybe trying to push against things, trying to change things that God never intended us to have a say in. Look at this verse in 1 Thessalonians. Whew, that's a mouthful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 23, just the first part of 23. I love this verse. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Now, I think what, what Paul means here, he doesn't mean that you've got to be in a constant state of prayer. I think when he says never stop praying, what he's saying is always come back to it. Right? Be, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong 
to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Again, that would be part of our sermon series in 2024 on spiritual gifts. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. And now watch him pivot here. Now may the God of peace, may the God of peace make you holy in every way. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying that God is at work still forming us. See, if we think the concept of imago Dei begins and ends at our birth, and I would say we don't understand the fullness of what Imago Dei is. There is a lot of us that is apportioned to us at birth by way of the image of God that he wants us to bear, but I believe that throughout our lives, especially once we make a vow of devotion to Christ, the work continues of him wanting us to become like him. It's part of this phrase that says, make you holy. It means that, that for us to continue to become like our Father in heaven, and I love that the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to refer to him here. He could refer to him as many things. The God of love, the God of hope, right? We know that list could keep going. The God of purpose, the God of destiny. But I love that it says the God of peace. This is the Holy Spirit circling back to this idea of shalom, this deep sense of, of well-being and goodness, that it's part of the nature of God and so should it be for us also, if we had time tonight, we would read the first chapter of Genesis. The story of creation. It's Genesis 1, 1 to 31. And when we read that, this is what we find. That there is purpose in everything that he created. There is beauty in everything that he created. There is value in everything that he created. There is variety in everything he created. And there is order in everything he created. Purpose, beauty, value, variety, and order. And, 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 and my challenge to you is that with the list of unchangeables, borrowed from the screen or maybe the one that you would cont continue building for yourself when you make it deeply personal and make a list, which I would encourage you to do, of all the things about your life that you feel like you don't have any control over, not because you feel out of control, right? Another sermon for another time, but things that are legitimately beyond your control, that you would make that list Make that list. Maybe things that you're glad that are on that list, but especially the things that maybe you wish weren't. Because there is an exercise that you can do to begin to pray a Genesis prayer over the things that maybe you would like to change about yourself. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as I introduce you to this exercise. You take that list and you begin to circle the things that you resent. You begin to circle the things that maybe you a little upset with God that he did or did not give that to you in some manner, way, or other. Maybe because you've been in this place of the, what we call the comparison trap, where you're looking at your life in comparison to others, and it, it creates this sense of self-loathing about some of the unchangeables that are on your list. And praying this Genesis prayer over this list goes like this. God, help me 
to see the purpose in my personality. Right? Help me to see the purpose in my personality. If you don't like the personality you have, well, I would say, say that's okay. Right? This is part of what we talked about earlier is being willing to lean into negative emotion is, is okay. In fact, I would say it's healthy. So maybe you look around at the personalities of other people and you're thinking, I wish I was more like this or I wish I was more like that. But, but, but then you, you got to come back to this idea of God, God picked the personality that I have just for me. God, help me to see the purpose in my personality. Because how many of you know you have a purpose in this life? There's things that you're supposed to do, tasks that are assigned to you. And did you know, guess what? Your personality is perfectly suited for your assignment. Your personality is perfectly suited for your assignment. What's the next one? God, God, help me see the beauty in my personality. For some of you, you, you need to fall in love with yourself, right? You need to think about your personality. You need to see the beauty that it is, that God made it. He created it, and he created it lovely. Your, your personality is not just functional. Your personality is beautiful. And then when God sees you, no matter what anybody else has ever said to you about your personality, your personality makes him smile. It makes him smile. Look at the next one. God, help me to see the value in my personality. Help me to see the value in my personality. Meaning that your personality in this world makes this world a better place. For who you are, how God made you, there is intrinsic value in your personality. How about the next one? God, help me to see the variety in my personality. Me meaning, that, me meaning that God loves diversity. He loves diversity. And, and your personality that he put forward into this world, it has value because of what it is, but it also brings variety to the world in the sense that you are unique and that no one else who's ever lived and who's ever gonna live is ever gonna be just like you. And, and that variety brings meaningfulness to the lives of other people. And how about this one, this last one? God, help me to see the order in my whole self. Me meaning that, that in the story of creation, everything happened in a certain sequence and things that happened on the latter days were dependent upon the things that happened in the former days. And, and this, idea, this idea of order through interdependence is an important lesson for us in the sense that your personality and all those other unchangeables are working together in an interdependent relationship to make you you because God made you just the way that you are. And there's something about moving away from self-loathing and into a place of self-acceptance that begins to build inside of you a feeling that the Bible calls shalom. There is a peace, a deep sense of well-being and goodness anchored in Jesus that he wants each of us to discover. Stand with me. Father, I pray for everyone that's here tonight. Maybe this idea of shalom has been elusive for them. Maybe this idea of shalom has, is either foreign to them or, or, or maybe it's not foreign, but it's just, it's, it's been a constant source of frustration. 
I, I pray that tonight would give them a, a sense of turning towards the prize of shalom that's waiting for them, reaching for the, the peace that's within our grasp. Believing that there's a place of self-acceptance that we've all got to come to. The unchangeables that we carry, the unchangeables that we're predetermined, the things that we're just, we're not going to change. We're not going to change. Being at peace with our portion. And, and then at some point, turning this corner, God, believing that with the same intentionality that you brought, as we read about in Genesis chapter 1, the same intentionality that you brought when you created this world, the, the, the same kind of focus, the same type of planning, the, 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 this feeling of that you, you had been working on this for a long time before you got started. Help us, help us to see that one of the reasons why you give us that story of creation isn't just to reveal to us how the universe began, but you wanted us to see the same way that you go about creating us, that you envision it, that you're excited about it, that you're purposeful in it. And just, just as it was on the day that you created the very first man and the very first woman, and you added that superlative, on every other day you said it's good, but on that day you said it's very good. Help us to hear you saying that over our lives. On the day that we were born, the words you spoke over each of us, it's very good. Your creation, in Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.